Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the third Wednesday in Advent is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments about today's sermon, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website, faithlutheran-aflc.org. Now let's join in and hear what God has to say to us today. The sermon text this evening is taken from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. I'd invite you to stand as you are able as I read that. It can be found on your pew Bible on page 1686 if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Heavenly Father, these are your words, since your word is truth. We pray that this evening you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is, as I've mentioned earlier tonight, the end of our Advent series on confession and absolution from the small catechism. Uh, just to echo again, the two parts of repentance in the Lutheran Church are contrition and faith. But one of the other marks of the Lutheran Church is that repentance is never, ever to be left on its own. Never. Repentance is always to be met with the gospel. is always to be met with absolution. Now, there's a certain level of offense in the church when it comes to the practice of absolution. In fact, I've rewritten the absolution that we use on communion Sundays in the worship service to minimize the kind of confusion and criticism that often comes from public absolution. What I say when I do an absolution is, it is because of promises like this in the word of God, from the mouth of God himself, and because of the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross in your place, I can declare to you that your sins have been forgiven. The more traditional Lutheran response for public absolution is, is for the pastor to say something like this. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his son to die for you, and for his sake, he forgives you all your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ, and by his authority, I therefore forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, you hear the difference between those two absolutions. They're both absolutions. But to the uncatechized ear, someone hearing a pastor say the words, I forgive you, can sound abrasive. Who can forgive sins but God alone, right? To the person not used to that, this would essentially be the equivalent of Liz getting up in the middle of the sermon, 
punching Steve in the face, and then me standing up in the middle of the church and saying, I forgive you. That's what it sounds like, but that's not what it is. And over and above that, though, there's another confusion that comes with the absolution that needs to be addressed. And that's the idea that if you proclaim the gospel to a group of people without the appropriate qualifications, you run the risk of comforting people who are not repentant in their sins. In the gospel lesson this evening, Jesus addresses both of these concerns as he appears to the disciples after his resurrection. For our purposes tonight, what Jesus teaches will be structured around our own misunderstandings. So turning our eyes back to John 20 this evening, first we need to look at our misunderstanding of the gospel itself. The first two verses of our gospel lesson this evening illustrate to us the truth of the gospel. It has to do with peace, and it has to do with Jesus' suffering and death. What we often don't realize or fail to realize is that when Jesus appears to the disciples and says to them, peace be with you, he's actually giving them an absolution. And as he absolves them, he shows them his hands and his side. Now, for the disciples, they used this as an opportunity to positively identify Jesus. They were understandably a little terrified when someone comes back from the dead in, in, in the ancient Middle East and in the ancient world altogether, and maybe even specifically in ancient Roman areas, uh, superstition was rampant. And so the idea that potentially a ghost or something else had appeared to them probably ran through their minds. And Jesus, sitting in their midst in a time before uh, government-issued driver's licenses or passports, his hands and his side were pretty good evidence that this is Jesus. But for us, and especially for Jesus, this entire exchange with the disciples is all about the nature of the gospel. The gospel is about the forgiveness of sins. That's the entire purpose. In fact, the gospel is the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus' death and resurrection are both the price paid for that forgiveness and the evidence of that forgiveness. And so for many who object to absolution, either as a practice or with the theology, it often starts with the nature of the gospel. For far too many in the church, the gospel is about something other than the forgiveness of sins, or maybe something in addition to the forgiveness of sins. But on Jesus' first appearance to his disciples after his death and resurrection, he makes it very clear what's at stake. His suffering, his death, and his resurrection all amount to our peace, our peace with God. The reality of the matter for Jesus and for his disciples and for us is that our sin makes us enemies of God. And God's declaration of peace means we are no longer enemies. 
He has removed our sin. And so that's the nature of the gospel. The second misunderstanding addressed in the gospel lesson is the misunderstanding about the nature of the church. Immediately after proclaiming peace to the disciples and presenting his wounds, Jesus once again proclaims peace. And then he commissions the disciples into ministry. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so for a second time, Jesus proclaims absolution to his disciples, and then he sends them out to do the same. Now we'll talk about the nature of their ministry in just a moment. But for now, as a baseline, we learn two things about the nature of the church. One, it's built on forgiveness of sins. And two, it's built on proclaiming the forgiveness of sins to others. This is what happens when you don't fan your papers out ahead of time and don't use an iPad. There we go. The entire context of Jesus commissioning his disciples into ministry is built around his proclamation of peace. That's easy enough to identify. But then Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The Father sent Jesus to proclaim, to win, and to apply the forgiveness of sins. Jesus sends the disciples to proclaim and apply the forgiveness of sins that he has won. And so many in the church today want to run the church as if it is something else. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's a marketing firm for the gospel. Maybe it's an entertainment institution. Maybe it exists to provide community for the lonely. Maybe it exists for moral education. Maybe even some of these things are good and necessary for the church to be doing. But the fact remains, the church is built on and has been sent to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. Jesus proclaims peace. And he asks those in his church to do likewise. So finally, we have misunderstandings about the means of grace. Jesus breathes on his disciples and gives them his Holy Spirit. Then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. If you forgive. That's where we get to that first objection. But this is exactly what absolution is. It's why Lutheran pastors so often use the I forgive your sins phraseology. And it demonstrates exactly how the gospel works through the means of grace. Question for us is have you ever doubted the forgiveness of your sins? At any time in your life, in your life have you ever doubted that you're forgiven? Even if the Bible says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, have you doubted whether God really means it? Have you wondered if you're sincere enough, or if you're just avoiding punishment, 
or, or whatever the case might be, has this doubt crossed your mind? This, at least in part, and probably the major part, is why God uses the means of grace. God works through means because God wants you to be sure and certain about your salvation. In the gospel, because of the gospel, you are no longer an enemy of God. But he doesn't just leave you in a neutral state. He also adopts you as his child. But God adopts you as his child specifically in baptism. And he does this so that you have an external historical event that you can cling to so that when you doubt whether or not you are in fact a Christian, God says to you, here, right here, at this time and in this place, I made you my child. And you have peace. And God in the gospel, because of Jesus, forgives your sins. But he does this by giving you the body and blood of Jesus Christ in Holy Communion so that you know precisely when your sins were forgiven. If you pray on Thursday morning for God to forgive your sins, and then on Thursday afternoon you go and do the same dumb thing, and then on Thursday evening you wonder why God puts up with you who are such a mess, you can think back to say, Oh, I received communion on Sunday. God forgave my sins then and there. And if that wasn't enough, God regularly and continually proclaims to you the forgiveness of sins in his word. You can read it. You can do your daily devotions in the morning, in the evening, at lunch, whenever. But he doesn't just do this in the words of Scripture. He does it through a person you can see and hear and touch. And he does this too so that you will stop disqualifying yourself from the gospel. Jesus delivered the gospel to his disciples to comfort them in their doubts. And Jesus delivers the gospel to you to comfort you in your doubts. If the gospel was based on anything that we needed to do, anything that we needed to complete, anything that we needed to walk alongside of Jesus and finish, there would be nothing but doubt. But the gospel is wrapped up in who Jesus is, and what he has done, and the fact that it is absolutely complete. Jesus tells us so from the cross when he says it is finished. So what if we go back now to the objections to absolution that I listed at the beginning of the message? Well, hopefully the first, the pastor forgiving the sins of the congregation has been answered. 
He is merely doing what the gospel does, and he is merely doing what he has been commanded to do by Jesus. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the sins of any, they are withheld. But what about comforting the unrepentant? What about proclaiming the gospel to a group of people and not knowing if every single one of them is both saved and repentant? How do we handle that? Well, it is true that repentance is absolutely necessary. And it's also true we don't want people to be secure in their sins. But the reality of the matter, as we listen to and understand Jesus this evening, is that the gospel does not and cannot forgive unrepentant sins. That's not what it does. There is no comfort in the gospel for someone who is unrepentant because that person does not think he needs to be forgiven. That person will not receive the gospel. The gospel is, however, for those who recognize their need for salvation. The gospel is for those who see their sin and feel their sin and know their sin and suspect because it's true that their sin far outpaces what they're aware of in their lives. That's who the gospel is for and that's who Jesus gives the gospel to and that person is you. And so just as Jesus came before his disciples that night so long ago and said, peace be with you. Jesus comes to you in his word, through your pastor, in water, and in bread, and in wine, and he says, peace be with you. Amen. And so now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.